Welcome to Day 6 Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Swick. On this show, we share testimonies from all aspects of the equine industry that will inspire you to pursue your purpose, optimize your potential, and prevail in peace. If you want to get more out of life and build your legacy-worthy lifestyle, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com to stay connected. Welcome everybody to another week here at Day 6 Ranch Podcast. It's been a little bit of a slower week around here and we've spent some time getting some pasture fence built in anticipation of some new horses showing up in the next couple weeks. We've also had the opportunity to work through a couple interviews with a few publications wanting to feature Day 6 Ranch. Little by little we keep chipping away at the educational content and hope to get some of that free content rolled out in the next several weeks. To stay connected with all things Day 6 Ranch and to have first access at the educational material, you can visit day6ranch.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Now this week on the podcast, we have Christina Hoyer. Christina was a U.S. Navy rescue swimmer who now works as a human performance coach. And in this episode, you will hear the incredible journey traveled where she has pushed herself to the absolute limits of mental and physical performance. She recently completed her first full Ironman, And we spent the first part of this episode diving into the lessons learned from her training program and completion of the race. To learn more about Christina and her upcoming launch of the Rehuman Project, you can visit ChristinaHoyerCollective.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-H-O-Y-E-R Collective.com. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is part one of our conversation with Christina Hoyer. All right, so I am going to bring you on as recently accomplished Ironman finisher, Christina Hoyer. Why don't we start? (laughs) I love it. We're just going to jump right into it. Uh, Tell us about the recent accomplishment of finishing your first full Ironman. Hmm. What a journey it was. I would say doing an Ironman was one of the most interesting and teach like, like literally was such a teacher for me. The training itself was one of the more rigorous things I've ever done in my life. I could only imagine. So I'm relatively new to endurance sports, right? A couple years in and yeah, I did a half last fall, uh, ran pretty well, felt really, really strong. And then, I mean, I just made the natural progression that any endurance athlete would make, right? You run your first half marathon. You're like, heck, let's just do a full Ironman. Let's just, that'll be our next (laughs) event on the books, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's my style too, for sure. So I started to do a little research as to what it, what it took as far as the training timeline and the training requirements. And it is a, it's a full-time job. Yeah. So let's discuss some of your training load because I mean, you every waking moment is spent either training or recovering. You don't really, there's not really time for anything else in life. Yeah, it's, so I, I'm a chronic underestimator. So, which I love about myself. I'm not, I'm not going to change that. (laughs) And so when I started and when I committed to this, I I did give myself a year. I was like, all right, be smart because you can actually, you can die. You can die in these events, right? True story. And so I gave myself a year and I was just going to go off of, there's a, a training program called Training Peaks and you can basically just sign up and it's like a, an algorithm and it sends you what you need to be doing to get yourself to a full Ironman. And I was like, this will be fine. I don't need a coach. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Insert chronic underestimator. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. And I got about six months in and I got sick just like for a week, like normal sick. And then I was supposed to just launch right back into where I was six months into this training. And there was no way. Yeah, that right. Work. I was that does not work. And so I was blessed enough, like, I'm telling you, this entire thing, divinely orchestrated. I was like, okay, I'm ready for a coach. One of my friends connected me with who I ended up working with. And he brought me in for, like, the last, essentially, like, four to six months of the training. And it was, every day was about three hours of work. But the, at least three to four hours of work. And then the weekends were, like, Friday through Sunday just dedicated to training. Yeah, yeah. But it was the, I don't recommend this to anyone. Like if you're going to do an Ironman, throttle back on some of the work that you're doing. Like start to shave off some of the commitments that you have. I did or it. All, I know all of them. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> like, like allow it to be a full-time job. I was like, I can handle like a couple full-time jobs at a time. Like yeah, that's not. not? Yeah. 120 hour work week is totally reasonable. <laughs> For like a whole year, I can sustain yeah, that. Definitely. Like, who needs that? So the workload itself is, I mean, definitely not something to be underestimated. It is something to like demands full reverence, full respect, and like the recovery time and just the, like, I am so just, I'm, I am in awe of the, the way my body handled it and, and the way the training came out, but it was, it was every day you're out there. Like there is, there are. There really is not much room for negotiation on like, hey, I just don't feel like getting out there today. Yeah, like you it's have like to go. you have to. Your body's gonna ache. You're gonna be really tired, and there's not gonna be too many moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to yeah. get out there today yeah. and run 16 miles. Yeah, let's just go <laughs> ride a bike for eight hours today. Right. Super fun. Like, really excited to go do this all by myself and do laps around the world yeah but that's one of the biggest takeaways that i had from getting into endurance sports after being a you know a team sport athlete growing up is that i personally had no idea what was possible mentally Mm. or physically i mean i set i set goals originally when i got into running and man those goals were achieved really really quick really quick yeah. and that's not to say that's not that to say that i'm an exceptional athlete or i'm gifted or anything like that but the point that i'm it's trying to make work. is is exactly that that if you just focus on the process and i mean take running a mile by way of example instead of thinking about hitting a mile finish line when you start setting your goals as hey can i put the left foot in front of the right foot and then repeat that mm-hmm. process as consistently as possible you blow mm-hmm. past that mile marker that mile marker comes exceptionally quicker and that's what I noticed in the running thing. Like a half marathon was not even in the cards when I first started. Yeah. Didn't even think of it. And then after finishing that, that race, uh, I couldn't believe how fast I got through 13 miles. Unbelievable. Right. Felt great. Couple hour recovery and we're right back to it the next day. Um, Ugh, I love so, hearing that. Yeah. And the Ironman has always been, obviously, because it's the pinnacle of endurance sports. It, it literally mm-hmm. is a race that could kill you if you don't train properly for it. And, uh <laughs> So my hat is my hat is off to you. That's an incredible, incredible accomplishment. And I mean, physically, mentally, financially, you you have to be all in if that's something that's that's on your bucket list. And yeah, sounds like you knocked it all out. 
Yeah, thank you. It was, and that was it, right? That was a bucket list item for me. And it's so funny you bring up like the progression with running because it's always been like, like even, even when I was in the service, like I, I literally lost my class leadership position because I was too slow of a runner. <laughs> like, like, like literally you cannot lead this class if you can't run in the front. Like you just well, can't. Fine. Somebody else can do it. <laughs> like, geez. And so it's so amazing. Like now having gone from that space to competitive weightlifting and then going from competitive weightlifting to doing an Ironman, like running even a 10K was mm -hmm. so much for me. The last time I ran a 10K, I literally puked crossing the finish line. That's like crazy. I was like crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. And because of course I didn't train for that 10K, right? Like I was like, oh, it's only six miles, yeah, right? I'll okay, I'll knock it out. But it's the the thing with running and the thing with with all of these endurance sports and with these like these things that you learn to endure like that is what it is. It's teaching us to really go into the acute presence of the process yeah. and to really sit in it and know like, OK, like, yes, I am feeling these things in my mind and in my body and in my heart. And, you know, all of this stuff comes up when you're out there. But once you remain in that presence of the process for long enough, like you, I get like every, almost every endurance athlete I've talked to, like you get lost in this beautiful flow of like what it means to be in motion in your body and what it means to like grow that capacity over consistency and over yeah. like keeping those promises to yourself over keeping that like that consistency of showing up like i trust that i will always show up for myself like that is what it teaches over time and i think from a coaching standpoint i encourage endurance sports and i don't care if you're pursuing a full ironman or a 5k is your first right. event right it it teaches you to embrace existence and then there's so many life parallels that we can build on after that as far as repairing relationships, personal and professional mm -hmm. goals, physical goals, you know, things of that sort, mental goals. But but you still have to learn that fundamental concept of embracing existence. Like, can we just be in this moment and own this moment and dominate this moment? Because moments matter. And when we start stacking mm -hmm. those moments, it's unbelievable what the human potential can do. And you think about your history and your existence as an athlete. I mean, you had your time in the service. You are lift, power lifting, right? Lifting weights. I mean, yeah. completely different, completely different body physique and call for your body. And now we're in Ironman, which is 180 degrees the other way from lifting. Yeah. And your body's able yeah. to take all of it on and not only take all of it on, but succeed in all of it. It's just absolutely incredible what the human body can be. It's so, it is, it's just, it's breathtaking. And, and that was a, another huge lesson that that taught me because like this process continues to teach me really is like if we look 30,000 foot view at like my life and what it's been like to just like witness it, like my body evolve and change. Like when I was really young, I was a chunker because I just like loved candy and bread and sweets. And I was like, you know, <laughs> like, like I was like, I literally like loved it, right? Like I'm, I'm an yeah. eater, right? Yeah. Like, and then I went from that to like severe anorexia and I like basically tried to kill myself not eating. And then went from that to like this competitive CrossFit athlete and then went from that to like being a rescue swimmer in the Navy and then went from that to like competitive, really thick, 
power lifter, like yeah. weightlifter, you know, like two C's. And then <laughs> went, went from there to this like endurance space. And what has been interesting with all of that is like allowing myself to just like witness my body change and not like grip on to like what should be happening and mm -hmm. instead like trust that my body and its innate intelligence as long as i am like fueling it and feeding it and nurturing it and paying attention to it yeah. that it is going to evolve and change as it needs to yeah. in order to support the demand that's being placed on it man what what a story what a journey so for you yeah. in your race let's talk uh mental hurdles and hang-ups because there comes mm. times right when your body is just flat gassed and it doesn't want to go anymore Right. And then you have to start fighting those walls and you don't want to be the one to bonk and just take a hard ride off the course because your body wants to quit on you. For you, how did your race go mentally? Oh, such a beautiful question. I would say, so again, right, this is like, this is, I had, <laughs> I, I had never ever ridden my bike this far. I had never ran a marathon before. So wow. this was, I had swam the distance before, but I like had never done any of the rest of the race that much, which is literally yeah, almost the whole the race. <laughs> right? Yeah, and all at the same time. So mentally I was going into it with just a, I had to go into, a, into it with a very much so open outcome, open to outcome mindset with also like a deep knowing of myself, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm not going like, unless they remove me from the course, I will literally like, I will army crawl my yeah. way. Yeah. I will scoot my body across the line. Yeah. We're going to get there, but we're going to get there. But the like that that is coupled with like it is a hundred percent my responsibility to fuel myself and hydrate myself as rigorously as possible. So that was essentially like that was my baseline mentality going in, right? Mm -hmm. Was like, all right, open an outcome, know yourself, and like your only responsibility really is like pay attention to your fueling and hydration needs and do it acutely and relentlessly. So Swim, awesome. I love swimming. <laughs> like that, just I was not worried about the fire. Right, just a little, right? I would rather live in the water. Let's just say yes. that. Yes. The, the cycle was actually, it was a blast. The course in Maryland is, I live in California, so the roads here are trash. And so it was really nice to be cycling in Maryland where like beautifully paved roads, very smooth course, like the main thing that you're paying attention to again is like having that fueling and hydration and doing it like the heart the biggest hurdle on the bike was really just like i don't want to eat you have to force I don't, feed yourself you have to force feed yourself you have to like i had an alarm on my bike computer that would go off every 15 minutes and alternate between like eat drink and then at the end of every hour was like you like did you finish a water bottle yeah. like had all those going and it was literally like they'd come back up and I'm like, holy cow, like Another again? One. Yeah. Oh my God, again? Yeah. Like I have to, oh, right? And it's uh, again, right? Returning back to that space of like, do the things that you know are good for you, especially when you don't want to because yourself four hours from now is going to feel the ramifications of what you're doing now. I love it. And like holding on to that vision, right? Like knowing and understanding, like I am equipping myself for a successful run right now. Like I am bringing myself to the finish line with like every water bottle I finish. Mm -hmm. 
So that was honestly like that was the biggest hurdle on the bike was just like and also just don't to me in this race, don't get over competitive because there's some yeah. people out there that just like they crush these Ironmans in seven hours. Like they are they're professionals. Yep. They're going to blast by you. And I was like, okay, stay in your heart rate zone, stay in your own cadence, right? <laughs> like, don't be stupid, right? That was just don't I be can't an say idiot. I was that intelligent because when I lined up on my half, there were some guys there that ran quite yes. competitively. Like, oh no, I'm gonna do two miles with them. It's only two miles. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and then after two miles, I'm completely revamping my game plan because I'm blown out. These guys are just smoking the course. Yeah, but it was fun. Yes. It's fun though, right? And there's yeah. also like leeway room for that in certain th events. Like when I went to Colorado, I did the double bypass and I like stayed on a like a Peloton with mm -hmm. some really, really competitive cyclists. And we were holding like 25 miles per hour for like a oh, while man. through the Colorado mountains. Yeah. And it was so fun, right? Heck yeah. Like, man, I had a blast, but then I had to like really <laughs> throttle back and like replenish my glucose like my like all of my all of my nutrition and water because mm -hmm. i i dumped i dumped everything you know it's incredible because i think i i'd have to look back at my numbers but i'd venture to say on my half i probably burned between 13 and 1500 calories and that's just a 13 oh, yeah. mile run so oh, i can yeah. only imagine the caloric intake that you need to push in a ironman race Iron Man. i mean I, yeah I, what are you at five thousand calories eight thousand calories my nutrition plan, right? Yeah. Plan emphasized. <laughs> plan and was, then execution are usually two different things. Yes, very much so. Even if you do your absolute damn, like yeah. damn best. Um, my nutrition plan had around like 6,000, okay. 6,500 calories in it. And that was dependent on like how dense the Gatorade was that they had available, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, because you can like really scoop a lot in for yourself, but they might, you know, Lean have it out. kind of... Yeah. Um, and sometimes it is really dense from them. But so it was around 6,600. 6, I would say wow. that like within the race, though, even though like like my I felt so freaking good within the race, I probably ended up consuming maybe 4,000, no which is and that was like I did my best. Like I was eating every 15 minutes and I was drinking a lot of like, you know, sugary, dense, yeah. like should be about 300 calories per bottle, like, like really Trying to like, pack nutritionally dense up. Yeah. But it's just, it's, it's damn near impossible to just like, but there are people like one of my friends who advised me on the nutrition stuff. He said he'd all, almost get around 8,000 calories in Yeah, and during the race. And I'm like, wow, that is just. That's a lot. And, it's impeccable but it's required That's impeccable. it's required yeah it's Holy definitely required smokes wow so yeah that was the bike portion and then honestly like when it really got hard for me when i was like okay all right and my, everyone who was tracking me was like uh oh like she hit a wall here we are yep I was at mile 18 on the run yeah. and I just like, like I hadn't been holding a really good pace, like somewhere around like, to, like a, we were running these slow, right? Like a 1030 pace mm -hmm. was somewhere around where I was mm -hmm. and danced, you know, a little bit up and down, but I dropped to 16 oh, and a no. half minutes yeah. per mile and which is still quicker than walking. I want to let everyone know I checked. All right, you know, <laughs> so your name says Iron Man finisher, mine don't. So you're going to hear nothing from me. <laughs> <laughs> I did try though because there were these people power walking past me and I was like oh that you know maybe that's a good strategy yeah and I, like, 
conserve energy, I slowed down and did like my, I'm a short lady, right? For everyone who doesn't know me, I'm five, I'm five, three, but I call myself five, four. And <laughs> I, <laughs> and so I'm little, I got these little legs and these like tall dudes are power walking past me when I'm like wogging, you know, yeah. I'm like granny wogging. But that was definitely like the biggest savior for me on that, like was this, and I've, I don't know, this is, was just innate, I guess, but this really helped me. And hopefully this makes sense when I say it was as I was like, really just trying to like, you just, just have to keep moving. Right. I'm Mm -hmm. basically was falling forward. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling like all these kind of crazy pains and just tension in my body. It was like, I would just inhale and I'm a really big believer in just like, like connecting to God, right? Like connecting to like that, that, that support, that divine support that is always there for you. And so I would just like breathe in like to the parts of my body that were really hurting. Like I was just like breathing in like release because I know it was just like a lot of tension, tons Mm -hmm. of inflammation. And then I would like breathe it out, like into the earth, right? Like just like breathe it out, like into like being held and knowing that like I'm, I am divinely supported. God brought me here. Like we are meant to be here. So like just knowing like that I could like taking again, that like that authority over my experience and being like, okay, what can I do right now? Right now I can breathe. I can breathe. Like that, that I have, I have full control over. I can control over, yeah. right? So that was like a huge, huge part of it. And then two, just knowing like, like really, again, coming back to like the presence of the process and like really being in that moment with myself and not allowing any creation of stories to happen around it, right? Because I think that's a lot of the time what happens is we start to experiencing this pain in our body. And instead of just witnessing that this is how we are feeling and allowing it to kind of be there and move through it and like breathing into it and through it, we create all these stories around like what it could mean for us, so right? So like, the noise. Right. And that's yeah. like, that's when you start to, that's when you start to just make, you define your stuff, your suffering. You write a story around your suffering instead of just being like, I am suffering right now. And that is like, like I I wanted, I wanted that, right? Like I yeah. I wanted to, to let the suffering teach me. And so that like those two things are honestly like the biggest tools that helped me when I did hit like that, I didn't find the pain cave, right? Like yeah. I found it and I was in it and I was like, okay. Well, we're here. Well, we're here. This is where I wanted to go, right? <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I don't want to you, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, just like really not, not thinking too far in advance, like that, because it all, like it all was going and all really did go collaboratively so well, like across all three of it, like all three sports. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's honestly like, that was kind of the mindset journey. And then it didn't, like I granny shuffled my way um, until like 26 miles. And then I had a quarter mile left. And, and at that point, you just want to get off the track. I saw, well, I like, they had, they do such a great job. Like, I really can't, I cannot, to, like, I cannot, like, brag about it enough that Ironman really puts together such a well-organized, beautifully done event. And, like, we ran the last quarter mile into, like, the the light. <laughs> like, literally, it's like, this, <laughs> it's like, I'm not even joking. Like, it's literally uh, like. I could be dying or like, finishing an Ironman. It's one of those. I don't know. Yeah, options. like I'm one of the other. 
And you're literally like, I, you know, in this course, you're coming out of downtown. So you just went through all these people cheering you on and you're on kind of like this cobble brick road. So it's like really unstable, which hurts a lot when you're already in pain. And like, and so you're just like, and you turn the corner and you have this last quarter mile left and there's just like the, the finish is just like lit. Like you can just see like this light at the end of the tunnel and the whole, my whole body and everything that hurt just dropped away and I just ran as fast as I could, which was probably still like 11 miles, like 11 minutes <laughs> per mile. But I was like, damn, I'm flying now, yeah, right? We're flying. We're, <laughs> we're flying. <laughs> and then it was like, it was, it's just crazy because in events like this, like it's over in a moment, right? Like you cross that finish line, like Christina Hoyer, you are an Ironman. You barely hear it. Yeah. Like I still haven't, I don't think I've integrated that at all. Like mm-hmm. not at all. I think it's still kind of just like, and I'm not sure, like I'm, you know, letting my, my kind of my body and my brain process it, however it ends up processing it. Cause I did kind of have a small expectation for myself that this would be so like shifting, yeah. like such a big, like shifting experience. And maybe it's still shifting, but I just haven't, like, it hasn't settled to the surface yet. Mm-hmm. But, like, I was in that moment, like, I definitely was, like, about to cry, but you're, like, done. And then they they wrap you in an emergency blanket, and you walk around with someone for a while because they want to make sure you don't fall over. Yeah. And they're, like, talking to you and checking in on your mental status and, like, how are you feeling? Like, making sure you're cognitively functioning. Like, really cool. Like, I just, they really, like, Iron Man has got you. Like, wow. they did a really great job. Like, they're, they make sure that the athletes are safe. Like that was just like, so cool. Um, but yeah, it was an emotional moment, but I didn't, I I expected to literally drop to my knees and ball my eyes out, but I think it was really hard for me to bend down. So (laughs) I was just like, (laughs) in my mind, I'm thinking that sounds awesome until you have to get up. Like, how yes, are you going to get yeah. off the ground? <laughs> I wouldn't be able to. I would have been like, yeah. uh, somebody come lift me yeah. up. What a Hollywood here. finish until you have to stand up and move again. <laughs> yes. I'm like, no way I'm getting yeah. down. Like, somebody there's no way. give me a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it was, man, what, what a journey. Like, the training itself was the ultimate teacher the race is just it's the cute it's the accumulation it's Mm -hmm. like it's the Mm -hmm. it's the icing on top that goes like it's the driver forward right it's just unbelievable when you look back at all all the little things that have to go right and you talk about the Mm hang-up and getting sick and how that sets you back and uh, you have to be darn near perfect yeah it was and it's it's that that's where the the kind of the dance comes in for yeah. me was really like you know doing as fast as you you can like and really meaning that like I could I have done better today and being genuinely honest with yourself about that right like mm-hmm. and giving yourself credit where credit is due like if you genuinely couldn't have done better today like then stop talking crap to yourself right yeah. like if it's not going to be productive to change something moving forward then stop because that's yeah. stupid yeah and then and then like trusting like the other part of that too was just like trusting and knowing like one of my favorite sayings lately was like walk into a room walk into the room like god sent you there that's and, a whole different level of confidence then oh right and it's like you know what like like all of this all of these tiny things had to go right for me to even make it here like i didn't own a freaking cycle until i did uh, my 
sprint triathlon. And then I was like, okay, I should probably get a cycle. And then I didn't even end up getting like a tri bike. Like I was just like, I'll just do this event on a road cycle, which I was like super nervous about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like there's just so many pieces that have to come together. So, so perfectly and trusted so perfectly. And just knowing like, just you have to show up and you have to try, but also like trust. I was talking with somebody yesterday about their fitness journey and it was just that they were talking about their running and I know I need to do this and I know I need to hit these numbers and I know I need to hit these distances and yada, yada, yada. And I said, hey, can you just focus, like throw all that away? That's great. I I Mm. appreciate you want to push yourself, but you need to throw that all out the window and just go. Yes. Like there's going to be days and I've had these days where you go out and run and you feel like you're towing a dump truck. And there's days where you're out there running and you hate every single bit of it, but you just got to get in that space mentally to perform and just show up. And there's other yeah. days when I only have, you know, a shorter distance run or a base run. Like it was hard for me early on to understand really the function of a base run and how to do it correctly because mm-hmm. you're running so stinking slow. I would mm-hmm. say there was no benefit to my heart rate because my heart rate's up because I'm so pissed that I'm running so slow. Like I should be going faster <laughs> oh, than no. this, right? So uh, yeah. there's that dance that, hey, you're out here and you're barely even moving or it feels like you're barely even moving, but there is constructive progress being made. And and it goes back to trusting that process. And it's just unbelievable how when you kind of take some of the expectations away, you got to hold yourself accountable, right? There's a dance to that. You got to hold yourself accountable. But when you take take and eliminate some of those expectations and just really, really, really dive into the process. Hey, I have a run today and it's a threshold run. Go. Or I have a swim today and I got to hit X distance. Like, just go. Who cares how long it takes or how fast you swim? Just go. Get it done. Eventually, you'll start stacking that momentum. And it's the ebb and the flow of any progression. It's not always going to be uphill. You're not always going to be increasing in your abilities. But uh, when you hit those valleys, it's just those are survival seasons and you do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, man, that was like such a cool part of it too. Like I had never done like zone two heart rate training. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, it took me a while before I, I, before the process earned my trust before I was like, you know, where I was like, it takes a while before you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Like, this is so cool. Like my capacity as an athlete is growing with me spending 70% of my time in like this long, slow distance Mm -hmm. heart rate zone. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not having to throttle. And especially as a woman, like one of the things that I've been paying and, you know, I encourage women in general to pay a lot of attention to is like, like when we're doing all these acute, hard, like balls to the wall, like workouts, like we are really dumping a lot of like, like this adrenal response, right? Like the mm-hmm. whole response mm-hmm. from that whole axis there. And like when we're looking at long, long, long term, right, 30,000 foot view at like, like hormonal health and menopausal health and all of that, like the the health of our adrenals and that whole axis really can dictate what that that part of our life looks like. And when we're full throttling all the time, it can be wonderful, but it can also be detrimental and like giving ourselves the opportunity to look at like clinically, scientifically, research-wise, like zone two training is so good as an athlete to increase that capacity with lowering like risk of injury, with lowering the amount of stress in the body. Like there's just like so much benefit to it. 
And it's like really blew my mind. Like when I start, I'm telling you, when I started this training, like running three miles was the worst thing ever. Like I was like, this sucks. <laughs> I, like, I hate it yes. so much. Yes. And then, and then going out on a Saturday and being like, oh yeah, like I can catch you for like a late lunch, but I have to go out and run like 14, 15 miles mm -hmm. first. And just go, like, literally, like, being like, okay, get your shoes on, put on your running vans, fill up your water bottle, like, do your go. little nutrition plan, and just getting out there and it being, like, not a big deal. Like, yeah. that, it's just so interesting, like, there's, and I can accredit a lot of that to, like, the Zone 2 training, of course, my awesome coach, and then, like, you know, balancing that out with those, like, crazy, those crazy threshold runs. It's just unbelievable, yeah, what a, what, what the human can do both physically and mentally in endurance sports. It's just, it's yeah. unreal to me. And it's definitely piqued my interest as far as human performance and, and studying what, I don't even know that we can answer the question of what human potential is. Oh no, we're you still know? exploring it. Yeah. yeah. We have no we idea. We may be forever. Well, now that we've gone on a 30 minute rabbit hole rant on endurance sports, let's get into, let's get into day six ranch podcast, I guess, huh? Let's do it. <laughs> it's all really good info, yes. though, you guys. I was going to yeah. say, as we've mentioned before, usually we start with the individual's history, the guest's history. No, you are not a professional endurance athlete, but that was such a huge accomplishment. And uh, it was you. goals that I've had for my endurance career. I just don't honestly do not have the time to dedicate to it right now. So it's on the back yeah. burner. So I thought it'd just be cool to break down some of the mental and physical components of of that chapter in that season and being that it's such a recent accomplishment for you, I thought you'd have some great insight as to what it physically and mentally takes to push yourself to unreal, unreal, literal, I guess, and figurative distances. Thank you. Yeah. So let's go into your history and we can start the horse has been in your life in and out mm. of your life, I guess would be a fair descriptor through various yeah. chapters of your life. Let's begin with your start with horses and we'll kind of walk through your service career and, and how everything's kind of come full circle and a culminating experience with, with saddles and service and how we got connected. Mm, I love that. Yes, I have. So I started with horses when I was young and a lot of the, I don't want to say the traditional sense because I that's not the correct word by any means. Mm -hmm. I you know, was jumping and doing dressage and English riding, Western riding, did the whole competition thing. And for me, horses, when I was younger, it was the only, it was the only place I, I felt at home. It was the only place where like the tension of growing up, right? Like, man, adolescence is, it can be a rowdy period of time. And oh, yeah. it was really, it was the only place I felt like myself. It was the only place I didn't have like that, just anxiety, that generalized, <laughs> that generalized anxiety of like social, like dynamic, who am I trying to figure all that out? Like that all fell away when I was younger. And then that evolved into a space where I started to learn from, and I can't remember his name, but I started to learn from a trainer, like natural horsemanship. And then eventually he, uh, he called my mom and I one day and he was like, Hey, these horses are for free. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, of course, me being young, having no idea what it means to like take care of a horse is like, yeah, like, let's do this. My mom's like, no, we can't afford to buy a horse because it's after, or like to have a horse. because they're free. The, right, but it's free. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, I don't, there's no money involved. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you have to feed these. I know yeah. you don't know that part, but yeah. you got to feed them. 
And so I, what ended up happening is the horse, these horses ended up going to this rescue. And then we went to the rescue to go see them. And I remember coming, I still to this day remember coming over the hill and laying eyes on this horse for the first time. And I just like, I knew, I knew that this horse, like she was like my, she's my, like my soul horse. Like I cannot live without her. And of course, at this point, like they're no longer free. <laughs> yes, there's an expense always. <laughs> there's an expense, and uh, we ended up purchasing her. Her name was Dawn. When Song Frosted Dawn, and she, her, and I, like she was completely emaciated. And what was crazy is at that time that was when I was going through my own struggles with anorexia. So I was also completely emaciated, and we saved each other like I she I used to sit in her stall with her and like like when like when she was eating like just sit with her and encourage her to eat and then I would have to go home and my mom who literally saved my life we would sit in my basement and she would sit with me and encourage me to eat and like we rehabbed together like we came back to life together and that like her being in my life during that time frame is a hundred percent part of the reason why I survived that time period. Like if I, and I'm, I'm a big believer that she was, because I didn't end up going to like a rehab facility or anything like that. Should mm -hmm. I have? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Would it have changed how long it took me to actually recover on like a, like a physiologic level from the amount of damage I did? absolutely mm -hmm. but i i think having dawn having this horse in my life is a big reason i was even able to like come back to life in the way that i was it's such a powerful statement there because i mean a lot of what we do at day six ranch the the first the first assumptions most people make oh you're mm -hmm. you're a you're a therapy center and it's like no we we do nothing related to therapy in the slightest we just create opportunities in life through the western industry for warriors to start unpacking some of those things. So it's crazy to think at such a young age, pre-service experience that you're walking that same exact journey. This horse is affording you opportunities to deal with some things and yeah. you're not in a clinical or formal therapeutic setting. No, no. And I think that's honestly like one of the most beautiful things about the work with horses and especially for warriors is like, we tend to have, I, I mean, I can speak for myself at least, like I had this aversion to talk therapy because it's, I number one, I'm, I'm hyper analytical anyways. I spend a lot of time analyzing myself. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time analyzing my experiences. Like there's not necessarily, I don't, I don't feel the call and I feel relatively averted to like sitting down and reliving them. Mm -hmm. And so there can be a tendency to like, and I encourage people to like go seek out help of any kind and sort that fit that fits them. But the beauty of the experiences with the horses is like they do so much innately because of who they are as a horse, right? Yeah. Like because of what they do as a horse and so much of it is subperceptual that like we aren't. Like you're not going out there to do the work. You're going out there to to be around these horses and to do the work in the Western industry. And what happens as a side effect of that is this like physiologic, actual physiologic change within your nervous system and this psychologic pivot where you're like, 
you are doing the work by being there. Yes. And and like knowing that like you are whole and you are complete and you are safe to be exactly as you are. And that is it. That's the entire fucking sentence. Sounds a lot like endurance sports training. Yeah. Not to try to tie in the first 30 minutes of the episode, but no. Um, you brought up another great point. And this is a question that I did want to ask you. You talked about uh, sub-perceptual growth. When you're walking this journey with this horse, right, and you describe your, yourselves as being emaciated and then going through this growth process, was there a time when the light bulb went off or was there a like a cyclic motivation where you start to see that horse get better so it encourages you to get better or you become mm-hmm. better so you want to pour into the horse more? Was there any growth perceived on any level for you during this process or was it just time passing and now looking back is when you start to see some of those connections that were made? Mm. I, man, that's a great question. I would say in the moment because of how, I mean, this might take a little bit of a dark turn, but it's, it's honest. So Mm -hmm. when I was in that state, I was completely at peace with the idea of no longer being here. Mm -hmm. And I was just so, I was, I was really, I was damn, I was really close to death. Like I was damn near it. And I, I had really just felt, and I, for anyone, I mean, everyone's experience is different, but for the people who I have spoken to who have had really, really near death experiences that are like facilitated in a way that's not just like, you know, not like it's, it's, um, slower. It's not like as like acute or adrenaline Mm -hmm. spiking. Mm -hmm. Like there is like this kind of like this undercurrent of just like a deep peace, like Mm -hmm. this, like settling. And so I think at the time, because I was number one, so young and number two had kind of found this peace with it. What really came with that, like maybe what the light bulb at that time was like, was I have this other living being that knows what it feels like to feel what I feel like. Interesting. And like, just like really being present with her and knowing that like, I didn't have to, this is, yeah, I didn't have to change myself to be present with her. Yeah. Like uh, there was nothing that about me that I needed to do different or better, or like there was, there was nothing other, like she requested nothing of me besides my presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that I think was super medicinal, like medicinal looking at it from now back because it was that like simple request of, I just want your presence and I don't need you to change anything that gave me the space and the momentum, of course, along with my mom who literally like, like sat with me in mental breakdowns, refeeding myself. Yeah. Like it was that presence and that simple request where I didn't have to change anything that gave me that space to breathe. Because when you're in these moments of like, darkness and you're in these moments of acute struggle and you're around a bunch of people who are like wanting things wanting you to change sometimes that can be so much that you're just like i i don't have that fuel i don't have like that space to breathe i don't have what it takes to change but then you go sit with these horses and they're demanding nothing of you and you like finally have that space to breathe where you're like oh my god like maybe i am gonna be okay yeah you know you start to feel the lightning of weight Yes. Yes. Like, it's like, oh, shoot. Yeah. My inhales got a little bit bigger, like every yeah. moment. No, I, I had a uh, similar experience when I was in some of my darkest days, and it was just that with the horse. Like, um, and I may have 
described it in, in previous episodes where I, I did not, like, I literally did not have any answer to anything. I was just so mm-hmm. defeated by my personal life, by my professional life. And when I came to and came out of it, sitting in a, in a horse stall, mm-hmm. that horse was just there. And it was one of those things. That, this was a horse that was described as having no social connection to human beings. It had shown me plenty of times over that it was more than disinterested in being around people. Wow. But to be going through the valley that I was going through, and then when I opened my eyes and I'm nose to nose with this being that supposedly doesn't want to have any human interaction, mm. it created that moment or that thought for me, like, hold on, there might be something here. Or there might be a way. Wow. Or there might be something that I could turn to or another avenue to look or something else to fight for. And that was like step number one for me on the rung out of probably the deepest valley of my life. Wow, that's so powerful. Yeah. So that's why I was interested in, in the, because at the time I did not, I guess while I'm traveling down into the valley, I had no perception yeah. as far as the relationship with the horse, or the, the potential that the horse offered me in understanding myself. And it wasn't until I hit the valley and started to come out that I started that I first realized that, hold on, there's there's a weight that's been lifted and maybe there's a world here that I need to start paying a little bit more attention to. God, it allowed me that's the op- beautiful. Yeah, it allowed me the opportunity to start unpacking some things and it, and it sounds like you had a, a relative experience in your journey. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, it's amazing what they do just so innately. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, I think the part of it that it, I would love to have words to describe, but I think it's just so experience-based. It's one of those amazing things in the human experience that we cannot encapsulate utilizing mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. It's it's just this, it's this magical thing yeah. <laughs> that they that yeah. happens, you know? And like you said, right, to be nose to nose with this horse that's like supposedly wants nothing to do with anyone. And you're like, moving through the depths of something that is literally like I'm in the darkest place in my entire life. And that other living, breathing being is like, I'm here. I got you. I've got you. Yeah. It'll be cool if it ever gets explained by science one day. I know. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're trying. Yeah. We're trying with like the HRV yeah, stuff. Exactly. And, you know, we're definitely doing yeah. our best with yes. that. But <laughs> there's still a lot of the unknowns out there. So so you walk this journey of anorexia and your recovery. How do you come out of that? And what's the next seasons of life for you? Yeah. Um, okay. Coming out of that. Um, long story short, coming out of that was a 10-year journey. Um, wow. Turns out when you when you get that skinny, when you stop eating for that long, your body kind of starts away, eating away at organs. And it's, a, it's like a whole thing. So it took me about 10 years before I stopped losing hair and I, you know, my heartbeat started to return to regular and like there was, you know, I had some valve malfunction for a little while and there was just, you know, all kinds of stuff. So coming out of that journey was, it was long and, you know, the next steps in my journey were, were really, really powerful. Right. So I think that coming out of that, I had to choose life. I had to turn back towards life and go like, I'm choosing to, to be here and I'm choosing to face, face myself and to take moment by moment. So I finished up my high school career and then I ended up joining the, joining the service. That whole thing was, (laughs) that's a long story, but (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> but it took me about a year before I could physically qualify and then get picked up in the lottery um, and get a contract to go be a rescue swimmer. And, you know, even watching my body and having to kind of observe my mind. And at that point, I wasn't as quite as active with like meditation and, and mindfulness. So it wasn't so much of an observance as it was like, you know, getting taken away by moments where I'm like becoming obsessive, right? Yeah, like really yeah. becoming obsessive, which I don't discourage people from being obsessive and a lot of things in life. Like most people who are highly successful are obsessive. And knowing like when to, when to, you know, maybe pick up that obsessive nature and, and channel it to something. They just got to make sure it's focused better. and a healthy option. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So then I went on this, you know, this, this beautiful breathtaking journey in the service where I just got to do a job that I, I mean, I, I loved, loved what I did. Um, and that, you know, as any other, as any demanding and stressful job in the military comes with, it's, it's moments and it's things that are, are really difficult to navigate through. And during that time too, I was completely disconnected from, from the horse world. I had no way to connect to it. I was over in Japan and on deployments and, you know, there's just really not too much you can do. I ended up having to sell Dawn, which of course was you know, a whole, a whole thing. thing to overcome. Um, but at the time too, I was just like, it is what it is, right? Like I'm in Japan, like yeah. I can't do anything. You don't have other options. I don't have other options. And so basically like that, that was the next couple steps. And then what ended up evolving in my, in my career. And this is like, still, it's so, I'm still moving through it, but I'm in so much different of a place than I was even just a year ago. Thanks to Saddles and Service, and we're going to kind of, you know, come to that place. Mm -hmm. But I ended up developing this chronic pelvic pain condition where I was like, it was just so, it was, I was in so much pain that I was like, I was puking. Like I couldn't, oh, wow. I couldn't manage, I couldn't manage it. And so... I originally thought it was like, oh, we're just flying a lot. I'm on deployment, whatever. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And I went through all these diagnostic tests in the military and, and like, like prefacing this with like being a rescue swimmer was my whole identity. Like I, I wanted to do that and be amazing at it. And I planned on doing that for a really long time. And so when this kind of, this sat me down, like it was like, hey, you are no longer going to be able to do what you do. And we are taking that away from you. Like we are medically discharging you from the service. We'll medically retire you, but you can no longer do this job. And so, of course, that was so jarring. It was like being, I, have, I felt like I got my heart ripped out. Like I felt incredibly lost. I felt thrown away. I felt like, and especially too, like layered on top of that, just like this severe, severe pain. Like I was lucky to get out of bed most days. I was lucky to be able to actually consume food most days because I was just so sick to my stomach. And like when, like, like people who have experienced like acute pain, like the nausea that comes with that is just like, it's crazy. It's unrelenting, so, yeah. It's unrelenting. 
So like this was my exit. This was like this was the this was how I left the military. And and as much as they attempt to equip people when you leave, the medical discharge process is a mess. And there's like there's you have to be able to fight for yourself when you're being like thrown away. And that in and of itself is like a whole it's a whole that's a whole thing we could we could dive down into for hours. Yeah. But I, so then, so right, I'm officially discharged and I'm, you know, on my own and I have no idea who I am. I have no idea how I'm ever going to be out in the world. Like I can barely get out of bed. I can barely move. I can barely eat. I'm reliant on pain medication. I am so depressed. I can't even think. I don't want to talk to anyone and I can't find, I can't find home. I can't find purpose. And like that, that was where I was when I got discharged. And then it took me about, man, maybe about a year before I found myself literally, like I laugh at it now, but like <laughs> I was like curled up in the fetal position on a kitchen floor and I was just, I was in so much pain and I just was having like one of those moments where I was like, I just can't, I don't know how I'm going to do this anymore. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I have the capacity, the capability, the the life in me. Like, I don't, I'm not ready to kill myself. I don't have a plan, but I'm getting close. And I like felt I was crying and I like had tears splashing back at me from the puddle on the floor. <laughs> I'm just like, this wow. is like it, right? Yeah. Like this is, I'm just like, we're here. We're here. And I remember hearing a voice and it was not, it was, I swear it was God. And he was like, you have a choice. You can either stay here and you can, you can stay here. You can stay in this, this fetal position on the floor and you can live in the pain that you're feeling and you can keep writing all these stories you want to around the pain and you can stay there or you can take everything inside of you and you can get up and you can go figure out who the woman is you're meant to become. Thanks for joining us on Day 6 Ranch Podcast. If you are looking to build a legacy-worthy lifestyle, we encourage you to visit day6ranch.com and stay connected through our monthly newsletter, explore our free content, and dive into our leadership and human optimization educational opportunities. As always, subscribing to our show is a huge help. But more importantly, if a message you heard today moved you, then please share the show with just one person who may benefit from the same message. We must continue to take care of our own, so stay in the fight, and we'll see you on the next one.